If you would turn to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. I want to talk to you today about increasing your compassion. Increasing your compassion. And I want to talk to us about how to do that. Because, um, you know, some people are just kind of born compassionate. They have all this care and concern for others in their, their heart and some people are kind of born like me and not, not as thoughtful. Like I have to work on being thoughtful and, and work on uh, putting others first. I don't know if I'm the only person in the room that feels that way, but that, that's, it, that's work for me. I don't care to admit that, that this morning, um, mainly because I was born into sin. So um, my wife, sometimes I wonder if she was actually born into sin because she's so nice. I'm like, you had to be the one person other than Jesus. <laughs> But uh, no, she was too. And, and I've talked to her and we've talked about this. And she says, no, it's something I have to do intentionally. I have to work on it as well. And so I want to I help us today. I hope, I hope this is going to encourage you and challenge you, convict you today, but also give you hope. Exodus chapter 3. And I'm going to start in verse 7. And this is God when he is calling Moses to do the incredible work that Moses does in delivering the children of Israel out of bondage and slavery. This is, this is his encounter with God in Exodus chapter 3. Start, start here in verse 7. The Bible says, So the Lord says, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows or their pain. So I have come down to deliver them. In other words, God's saying, I've come down. The New Living says, I have come down to rescue them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey. And the Bible says in verse, verse, verse 10, it says, so come now therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel out. Notice that God says, I see, I hear, I know, I am coming, but I am sending you. That's how God works in the earth. God visits the earth by sending us into different places in the earth. Isn't that a powerful thought? That when you go into your job and when you go into the community, God is going into that same place as with you. And he is, you are representing him to the world. You're not just going in that place as an employee. You're going as a representative. The Bible says we are ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven. We're going in and we are representing God. We're actually bringing God's visitation into our, our spaces of influence. And so I love that. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for your word. We're asking over these next few moments you would speak so clear to us, challenge us, change us, speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray and everybody said amen. I'm wearing this shirt on purpose today because I, I do believe that the Chicago Bulls are the greatest uh, dynasty in the history of sports. Um, I know the Boston Celtics fans are here and the... Los Angeles Lakers fans are here and all of that. And I get it, I get it, I get it. Um, but this represents something for me and my household. My son is, is my family's away this week. And um, my son is probably watching right now. And we have this, this debate in our home. It's very heated. It's led to some serious, serious fallout in our house. Um, we have this debate on whether or not LeBron James or Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player of all time. Can, can, can the Michael Jordan 
uh, fans make some noise in the room today. Any LeBron James is the GOAT fan? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. But, but that, I didn't come here to, to, to declare Jordan as the GOAT. Even He, he already declared it with his, his career. Um, but I was so excited when this, uh, this documentary came on, The Last Dance. And I was so thankful that they moved it up during the quarantine time. And, and, and I really wanted Judah to watch it because I wanted Judah to get some sort of perspective as to what I was, as to what I was talking about. Because he always kind of just laughed. He was like, you know, I've watched some YouTube videos of Jordan and I see LeBron James playing and I just don't think there's any comparison. He's like, I just can't, I don't see how you see that. And so I was excited for him to watch this so he could get a little bit of perspective on why I see things the way I see things. And after it was over and a few days later, he sends me a text message. And, and he did not tell me that Michael Jordan was the GOAT. He didn't say that. He said, Dad, I can see where you're coming from, but LeBron James is still the GOAT. Now, perspective is an interesting thing because perspective has so much to do with where you're seated. If I were to ask you to explain to me what you see this morning, you would look from your vantage point and you would see this stage. You would see these lightsabers from Star Wars and you would see, you know, these screens and these lights and these instruments. If I were to, to explain to you what I see, I see people, I see seats, I see I see these walls, I see a clock on the wall that's just, it terrorizes me every Sunday. I see exit signs. So we see this room according to where we are seated. And so much of the way we view life and view people and view what's happening in the world right now has so much to do with where we're seated. And I love what God says. God says, I see. Because God has a perspective that none of us have. And, and our desire should not be to see life from our vantage point, but our desire should be to see life from the vantage point of heaven. I mean, after all, we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. We do have opportunity to tap into a vantage point that is much higher than what we see right in front of us today. And so I want to encourage you today um, to, really, to really take some time in your life to try to see things from heaven's perspective. God says, I see, I hear, and I know. The only way you can really know is to see and to hear. And so God says, I see their oppression. I hear their cries. And because of that, I know their pain. I would suggest to you that you really cannot see a person correctly until you know their pain and you cannot know their pain until you really see their oppression and hear their cries and so I want to I want to encourage you to to lean in to that part of you that wants to disengage from the world right now and just binge a bunch of Netflix and put your head down in your work I want to encourage you to look up and to see oppression wherever it is and to hear the cries wherever they are because listen as followers of Jesus what we do is run towards pain this is our calling this is why we exist we're here to run towards 
the people that are being oppressed and the cries that we hear in the earth, no matter where they are coming from. Isn't that an awesome responsibility? And so I want to talk to you today about how to see and hear better so that you can know people's pain. So I'm asking God, I've been asking God over these past few weeks, God, increase my compassion. You know how the disciples said, increase my faith, because Jesus said, hey, if you're, if you're really going to forgive somebody, you got to forgive them <laughs> seven times 70 in a day. And they said, well, God, increase our faith. <laughs> and I'm asking God, God, increase my compassion for people so that I can see what you see, hear what you hear, and know what you know. Let's talk about seeing for a second. The Bible says in Psalm 46 and 1, it says, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in a time of trouble. Aren't you thankful for that today? Come on, have you ever experienced that about God, that no matter what you were going through or where you were in the earth, that God was an ever-present help in a time of trouble? I'm so thankful that God isn't, isn't limited to our geographical locations. I remember when I was growing up, there's, there's a hero of mine in the faith. His, uh, he, 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 was, uh, he was the leader of a camp that I grew up in, Pastor Varner. And one time Pastor Varner was on a mission trip overseas and he was kidnapped. And when he was kidnapped, he was thrown into the trunk of this car. And Pastor Varner tells the story. He starts to pray. And, the, and, and Pastor Varner said he started to speak in tongues. And he started to speak in tongues so loud that it scared the men in the car. They pulled the car over. They opened up the trunk and they let him go. Aren't you thankful that the presence of God wasn't like, well, Pastor Varner, since you're not in America, there's nothing I can do for you. Aren't you thankful that God isn't limited by space or by time or by location? I'm so thankful that wherever we are, he's very present. He's always present. And I believe that he's always present because I believe he's always looking. The Bible says this. It says in 2 Chronicles 16 and 9, it says, For the eyes of the Lord search the earth. The eyes of the Lord are roaming the earth. He's, he's looking for people. He's looking into situations. He sees you right where you are right now. I was doing a funeral just a couple of days ago, and I was telling the family that God sees your, your pain so much that I really believe with all of my heart that when you go through something difficult, that the first one to cry with you and to weep with you and to sit with you is the Lord. Because I think he's the first one to see it, because he's always looking. And I want to tell you something. I, I encourage you to keep your head up, to be looking constantly for someone, some situation where you can use what God has gifted you with to help. It might not be the same that someone else does, but that's why we all have unique gifts, talents, and passions, and abilities, because God has so many different things that he wants us to be the answer to. Listen, you are the response to a cry in the earth. Your existence is a response to a cry in the earth. And so God says, I see. God always sees because God is always looking. I read this and Charles Spurgeon said this, and I thought this was so powerful. Charles Spurgeon said, you are looked at by God as much as if throughout space there were not another creature but yourself. <laughs> just, that, I just, 
I just want to give God some praise right now for the fact that he just, he sees me so fully and so completely that he sees me as if I'm the only person that is in the earth. That's powerful. There's a story in Genesis chapter 16 of a woman named Hagar. And the Bible says that Hagar has been mistreated by her masters, Abraham and Sarah. They used her uh, to help them to conceive a child because they were struggling conceiving a child. And she's conceived a child and Sarah is now angry with her because she's able to bear children and Sarah isn't. So she's mistreating her. She's mistreating her terribly, so, so terribly that she thinks her only solution is, is to run. And so she's, she's on the run. And God shows up. <laughs> and he stops her and he says, Hagar, he asks these two questions. He says, where have you come from and where are you going? Because if you don't know where you came from, you don't know where you're going. God says, where have you come from? Isn't it amazing that God is so compassionate that he asks questions that he already has the answers to? I love this about the Lord, that he, he sees me so well, but he still asks questions that he already has the answer to. He already knows her situation, but he's trying to show us what compassion really looks like. It's even when you think you have the answers, even when you think you have all of the answers, even when you think you know the, the circumstances totally, still ask the question. That's true compassion. So he says, where are you coming from and where are you going? She starts to tell him all of her trouble. And the Bible says that she is so overwhelmed by this encounter with God that she says in Genesis 16 and 13, she says, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. She calls him the God of seeing. She has an experience with him that is so powerful that she gives him a name according to her circumstance. Have you experienced God in such a way that you know him to be Jehovah? Or are they, is it just something that you learned in church or just something that somebody told you? But have you gone through something and God has come to you with such compassion and he's come to you with such care that now you know him to be Jehovah Rapha? You know him to be, come on, you know him to be what everybody else says he was. And she says, God, you actually see me. I've heard Abraham and Sarah talk about this God who created the world, but they aren't representing him very well right now. And God, you actually see me? You actually are concerned about me? Is there anybody in the room that just wants to put your hands together and say, thank you, God, that you see me? You don't just see people that are supposed to know you better than me and people that have a better relationship with you than me, but you see me? Someone who feels like they're on the outside looking in, you see me? It's powerful. So God is always seeing because he is always looking. And he says, so, so I see, I hear, I hear. This is, very, this is very powerful for us because so many of us 
see what's happening in the world today, but we refuse to really hear why it is happening. And all of us, all of us come to any situation that we see with our own preconceived ideas about that situation. I mean, we look at what's happening in the world today from, from COVID to, to the, the protests now that have seemed, <laughs> seeming to take over cities, not just in the United States, but all over the world. And we come to those situations and we see them, but we, we very often only hear what we want to hear. And because we, we fail to change our vantage point, we can't really see in totality what God is actually doing. Genesis chapter 4 and verse 10, listen to this. God comes looking. He's coming, he's coming to look and the Lord says, he says, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me. From the ground, this situation with Cain and Abel, and God comes and He looks on it and He says, "Hey, where's your brother?" Am I? Well, He, he said, "Am I my brother's keeper?" And God says, "Listen, do you not hear? Your your brother's blood is crying out from the ground." In 1 John 5 and 14, the Bible says, "And this is the confidence that we have toward Him that if He if we ask anything according to His will, He." Hears us. God is, God is always listening. He's listening. He's, he's listening. And the Bible says that he saw the situation, but he heard the cries as well. Sometimes you can see something and not hear the cry. Sometimes you can see something and because of your own personal biases or your own prejudices or your own upbringing or your own, you know, education, you can see something, but you can't really hear the cry in the middle of it. I've been encouraging our staff that as you look at people, as you look at people, don't necessarily look at what they do. Listen for their cry. Because what people do is usually a reflection of the cry that is coming from their heart. And that's why Jesus, when he looked at cities, he would say stuff like this. He would say, I see them in all of their rebellion and their, and their disbelief and, and all of that. He said, but I see them as sheep without a shepherd. Because he could hear what was really coming from their heart and not just see what was, they were doing with their hands. He could actually bring a solution to the issue that was facing their life because he recognized that what people really need is not some external change. They need an internal change. They need a heart transplant. They need hearts of stone to be turned to hearts of flesh that God can work with and adjust. So God is, he's listening. He's listening to the cries of people from the ground. He's listening to the cries of our African-American brothers and sisters who are crying out right now. He listens to the cries of the unborn. He, God hears the cries. He hears the cries of people who are suffering with cancer right now. God hears the cries. God hears the cries. Do you hear it? Or do you just see it? And then you sit back, don't we? You sit back sometimes and we see something and we start to try to explain it away. Why? So that we don't have to feel any compassion towards it. So that we don't have to do anything about it. 
But we don't, we don't exist to judge situations. We exist to bring help into the situation. God is the judge. Now what about, what about, what about our ability to judge? Well, we can judge fruit. We can judge, we can judge a person's character, but we can't make the judgment of whether or not somebody is, is redeemable. Come on, we can't make the judgment about whether somebody should be offered salvation or help or water or food. Isn't it an amazing thing that as soon as what happened to George Floyd happened, all of a sudden the people come out of of the woodworks who are trying to explain that situation by telling you how bad of a person he was. Because if they can convince you that he's bad, then it removes you from any compassion that you should have towards the person. But here's here's what a follower of Jesus says. Go ahead and convince me they're bad. You know what? I'm bad too. And Jesus came and saved my life. Jesus came and rescued me. So the darker it is... All you're telling me, the darker, the darker it is, all you're saying to me is, is the more help they need, not the less. Right. Do you see that? Can you hear that? How am I listening? The Bible says in James chapter 1, verse 19, it says we should be slow to speak. <laughs> in our day, it would be slow to tweet. Slow to Facebook post and quick to listen. Ask people their stories. Church, you have to hear the voices of the afflicted. In America, we've got this misunderstanding that Christianity is this thing that we get into so that we can guarantee we're going to heaven and so that we can live the blessed life. And believe me, God wants to bless you. and God wants to take care of you. But the reason we become Christians is we become Christians to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ. So that the same thing that God rescued us from, we can run back into and start saving as many people from it as we possibly can. That's our responsibility. I can't be quiet about this. I've seen too much. I've heard too much. I know too much and I'm responsible, the Bible says, for what I have heard. So no wonder we don't want to listen because we're held accountable for what we hear. Think about this for a moment. Just because it didn't happen to you does not mean it didn't happen. When when the atheist says there is no God, and as a believer you're like... How could you, you're so convinced there's a God, you cannot believe that there are people that actually believe there is no God. As a Christian, it's harder for me to, it's harder for me to think that somebody can put their faith in this all being just chance and circumstance. That seems harder to believe than God sent his only son. I I don't understand it. But what's the difference? The difference is I've experienced God and they haven't. And so when they look at me and say there is no God, I say yes there is. No there isn't. Yes there is. How do you know? I've I've experienced Him. I know Him. 
And so when someone looks at you and says, I've experienced racism. No, racism doesn't exist. Yes, it does. No, it doesn't. How do you know? I've never experienced it. But I have. You believe in a lot of stuff that never happened to you. Why? Because someone else's story convinced you. I'm just, I'm just here to, to challenge you today. Just because you don't see it doesn't mean it isn't happening. No two people on earth have the exact same human experience. That's why we have got to see and to hear so that we can experience the fullness of someone's actual life. We're so disconnected from reality. This is what's killing us. This is why everybody is picking a side and nobody can find the middle anymore. It's because everybody, nobody can hear anybody because nobody's really listening to anybody because every conversation we have is through a screen. I was so challenged this week as I saw, I don't know if you saw this, I, I should have brought the video to play it, but one of our officers, and not just, when I say our officers, I don't just mean an officer in our community in Johnson City, but an officer that's part of our church family, David Kate, who's here every week serving, big tall guy, he's in his uniform every week. This week there was an article written about him and it actually went all over the world. Him and a young man, young black man named Mark, and just a few nights ago during the protest, David, who is out there policing during that time, he's surveying and he's looking. And, and Dave said at one point he catches eyes with this young man. And he says in the interview, he said, I could see the pain in his eyes. See, it's one thing for us to just survey a situation and look at it. But when we lock eyes with someone, everything changes. I encourage you to stop make judgments about people. Stop making judgments about people that you haven't locked eyes with. Lock eyes with it. You cannot fix what you won't face. So he said, he said, I saw the pain in his eyes. Colossians 3 and 12 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Compassion. The origin of the word compassion helps us understand it. It's, it's from a Latin word, which it's, it's compati, which means to suffer with. Compassion means someone else's heartbreak becomes your heartbreak. Another person's suffering becomes your suffering. In Luke chapter 10, there's a story there of the Good Samaritan. And a, and a lawyer asked Jesus this question. He says, he says, he says, uh, he says Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus kind of poses the question back. Well, what do you say? He says, well, it's to love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you've answered correctly. But he has a follow-up because he's a lawyer. And he's looking for a loophole. Because this is what lawyers do. They look for, they look for a loophole in the law 
so that they can, they, can, they can get out of a situation, get somebody out of a situation, or put somebody in a situation. They're looking for the, for the loophole, a way out. He says, well, well, who's my neighbor? And Jesus tells this beautiful story of a man who has fallen to thieves. And the Bible says that two men of God actually walk by this, thief, this person who's on the ground suffering and bleeding and dying. They walk by him and they ignore him. And Jesus says, but a Samaritan man comes along and he sees him and he has compassion on him. Do you hear that? He sees him and he has, he sees him and he has compassion on him. See, you can see something and have no compassion. Some, we're all looking at the same thing. But not all of us are responding with compassion right now. Jesus says to the, the Samaritan, he picks him up. And I love this story because Jesus is very clear about who these people are. He says that these two men that walk by, these are Jewish men. The person that stops is a Samaritan. These people hated one another because of their differences. But Jesus is very clear to outline and describe their differences because he wants to recognize, he wants you to recognize the hate that exists between them because of their differences. So the Samaritan, the Bible says, he leans down, he bandages him up, he puts him on his donkey, he takes him to an inn and he says, he says to the innkeeper, he says, here's, here's some money to take care of his expenses. And he says, and I'm going to come back. And when I come back, if he's racked up any more debt, I'll take care of that too. There is a whole lot in this story, but this is what I want you to see in here. This is what I want you to see in here. The man laying on the road was not beaten and laid to die there by the Samaritan. But the Samaritan took responsibility for his healing. It wasn't his fault, but he took responsibility for his healing. I hear you. I hear you when you say, I, I, ne- I, did, I haven't contributed to that problem. I, 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 I never owned a slave. I, I, I've never been racist. I've never. Well, that's not how Jesus responds to problems. Jesus sees problems and doesn't say how they end up there. He just sees the problem and he brings them to hell. He took responsibility for something that wasn't his fault. Do you hear what I'm saying? Do you, America, do you church, do you hear what I'm saying? The responsibility of the Christian is to, is to sacrifice and to give your life for something that wasn't your fault. Watch what he does. He takes him to the end. He says, I'll pay anything extra. He goes, I'm going to see this through till it's all better. I'm not just going to make a post on Instagram and then forget about it in a couple weeks. I'm not just going to attend a prayer meeting and then forget about it. No, I'm going to see this through to the end. And if it costs me more at the end than it did at the beginning, I'm willing to pay that price. It's the same mindset of Jesus. Said, I didn't call sin, but I'll take the I'll take the pain for it. I'll take the I'll take I'll pay the price for it. 
That's what we do as Christians. This is when Jesus says, if any man wants to follow after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow after me. God is asking that you would give your life for something that's bigger than you, that's maybe not even about you. Just give you a couple tips and I'll let you go. I know the, the kids are about to rise up and they're about to protest in here like. <laughs> when do we want the service to end? Now. <laughs> I hear you. I, I get it. I get it. I get it. <laughs> Think about this. So let's commit to being present. We get a really short existence in the earth. Let's commit to being awake for all of it. I know we got to take naps and I know we got to sleep. But let's commit that when our eyes are open, our eyes will be open. When we're not sleeping, our ears will be open to hear. So we got to look up. Romans 12 and 15 teaches us something so powerful that we do as believers. It says rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Rejoice when someone's rejoicing and weep with those who are weeping. If you, if you can't weep with those who are weeping right now, you might want to make sure you actually encounter Jesus and got saved. I know that's a strong statement, but I'm telling you something. Jesus, when he's living on the inside of you and you see people go through pain, you, you, can't, you can't walk away and ignore it. You can't. Weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice. I want to encourage you to ask better questions. Remember I told you no human experience is exactly the same? And let me tell you this. There's a difference between asking a question to learn from the answer and asking a question to argue with the response. <laughs> okay. And understand it, just because you're in a relationship with someone doesn't mean you understand their experience. You've not really lived with someone until you've wept with them and rejoiced with them. So many of our relationships are just about the high times, and some of them are just about the low times. No, for us to really see a person, we have to see their highs and their lows. Listen. You don't have to fix everything. I think the fear in our heart right now is that we look at the problems of the world and we think, God, I, I can't fix that, so I'm just not going to do anything. Now, you don't have to fix everything. But God has gifted you in such a way and uniquely voiced you in such a way that you have influence to do something about something. Not everything. But you can do something about some things. <laughs> ministry, listen, ministry is not always proclamation. Sometimes ministry is presence. See, it's not always about saying the right thing. Sometimes it's about just being in the right place. I went a couple of nights this past week to the protests, and, and I understand that there are some people who disagreed with me for going to that as if I was putting my stamp of approval on all of the behavior at the protest. But this, is, this, this was my thinking. I can't make a difference if I'm not there. 
So I was on a Zoom call with a bunch of pastors and I said, hey, listen, if this is our city, then let's go pastor this city. They're looking at me like, let's leave our church buildings and let's go walk the streets with the people of our city. Many of our young people are there. Many of our families are there. And, and even though many of the churches in this area are very uh, divided on Sunday morning, but for me and a few others, many of, our, many of our black members and families are there. Many of our white members and families are there to support. So let's go pastor these people. Instead of just leaving them up to their own thoughts and words and organizations, let's just go past them and talk to them. And maybe we can quell some of the anger and the outrage and the window busting if we'll just go love on people. Let's, let's do that. And would you believe that people disagree with me over that? Christian people. <laughs> oh man, we're not adequately present in our culture as Christians if we don't show up. got to show up got to show up you can't show up to everything but you can show up to some things and I'm going to challenge you in this a way to commit to be present lastly is to see the color You're not really experiencing the beauty of what God has designed if you don't see color. My heart breaks for not just blind people, but colorblind people. My brother-in-law is colorblind, and so uh, he's, in our, he's in our graphics department. We always, we always joke around that you make graphics, but you can't see colors. Like, this doesn't fit. It's okay to laugh at that. He laughs at it. It's all right. But I, I feel for people who are colorblind because they, they don't get to see. The, the reason the grass being green is so beautiful is because it's put up against the blue sky. The reason at your own house you cut a lot of grass out and you create these places where you put mulch and flowers is because when you put the dark mulch in there, your flowers stand out more than if you just planted them in the grass. So it's the diversity of color that makes the world beautiful. And you're not really seeing the world if you don't see color. And so I would, I would encourage you, it's a very limited perspective, and I'm just going to challenge you with this, to say things like, I don't see color. Well, God obviously sees it because he made it. I heard someone say this week, they said, the goal of all of this is not, I don't see color. The goal is, I see your color. And I honor it. And I respect it. All of your experiences, all of your pain, all of your suffering. Because to really see you, I have to see every part of you. And to say I don't see your color is to say I don't see you completely. And I hear the sentiment behind statements like that. I don't see color. But don't say something that God himself doesn't even say. 
God sees it. Even when Jesus is talking in Luke chapter 10, he's pointing out the difference between the Samaritan and the Jew because he wants you to see their distinctions. He didn't want you to turn away from it. He wants you to see it. And one of, one of the reasons we don't really look at it is because of the responsibility it puts on our lives when we, when we really and truly look at it. And I know somebody's going to say, well, what about Galatians chapter 3, 28? There's neither Jew nor Greek, female nor male, slave nor free. The Bible is no more saying in that verse that I, I don't see color than it's saying that when God looks at humanity, he doesn't see men and women. Or slaves or free people. Or Jews or Greeks. No, this is a verse that's challenging the power structures of the world. Not the, not the color system of the world. The power system, slave and free, Jew and Greek, male and female. That's what God says. When you come into the kingdom, there's no power structure that makes a man better than a woman. There's no power structure that makes slaves worse than free people. There's no power structure that makes a Jew better than a Gentile. But I see them all. I see men, I see women, I see Jews, I see Gentiles, I see slaves, I see free people. I see them all. Father, in Jesus' name, God, we're asking that we would, we would get heaven's perspective on what's happening in the earth. God, that we would be able to see through your eyes, hear through your ears, and know what you know. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Renew our minds today. Help us to not see things through our agenda. Help us to not always see things through our experience, but help us to try to sit in someone else's seat and see their perspective. so we can really make a difference in the earth. Oh God, you are, you are moving. I know for some of us it doesn't look like it, but I see something totally different. I see all the earth moving towards the plan of God. I see all of the earth moving towards the plan of God. Even though kings may resist it and presidents may resist it, they cannot resist the move of God towards what you have designed and what you desire in the earth. So help us God. Not to just sit on the sidelines and watch, but to really get into this thing and see and hear so that we can know, so that we can help rescue. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen. 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 We stand on your feet today.